Amen. What a great time of worship. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3. For those of you just joining us, we're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Gospel of Luke. And isn't it amazing that we have a source book of truth, the Bible? You know, throughout the whole world, there's so much, you know, what people believe and there's so much uncertainty, but we have a a book that is God's Word, holy, inspired, infallible, and we can trust it. Amen? So as you turn to Luke chapter 3, I just want to ask you guys a question. Can you remember the last time you saw someone smile? What did that do to you? Um, For those of you who are married, do you remember the first time your spouse-to-be smiled at you? You finally, Donnie, you finally got made to smile when you first dating or whatever it was, you know. Some of you may have to think back a few years. Uh, for those of you who are parents, can you remember the first time your child smiled at you? Um, after four kids, it was usually after a few weeks. The first smile was always something of significance. Well, today's message is titled, When God Smiles. Is it possible to experience the smile of God? Now, we know as Christians... Positionally, we are righteous in Christ, we are forgiven, grace is not something you earn or deserve, we're fully aware of that, but the question we're going to ask today is, how do you experience God's smile in your life every day? We know it's true positionally, we know we're forgiven, but how do you experience it? How does it become a reality in your day-to-day lifestyle? So just a little preview of this text, we're going to look at the baptism of Jesus, and in this baptism we're going to see God smile on His Son. We're going to see how God viewed Jesus. And guess what? Since we're in Christ, we can have a parallel of how God views us. So let's jump into the Word. I'm going to be reading Luke 3, 21 through 22. And I'm not going to try to pronounce all the genealogies. That's up to you because I'm going to butcher every word in there. So, but we'll have, some, we'll have some, something to say about the genealogies at the end. Uh, starting in verse 21, it says, When all the people were baptized... It came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And notice what happens. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon Jesus. And a voice from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Let us pray. Father... Such a beautiful two verses of Scripture, how the Father smiled upon the Son and said, I'm very pleased in you. And we see the Holy Spirit, all three members of the Trinity at work in Jesus' baptism. So, Father, as we look into your word, uh, speak to our hearts, help us to understand it, and help us to understand on a practical basis how we can, too, experience the smile of God in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we go through the Gospel of Luke, Luke's theme is Jesus is the Son of Man who came to seek the sons of men that they too may have salvation. So we've been going through the first two chapters a lot, covered Jesus' childhood and birth, early development. And now we're getting into the part of his ministry as we close out chapter 3. So today I want to give you four breakthrough principles of how you can experience God's smile. As I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, we know we can't earn God's grace. It's a free gift. But as your Christian walk develops, it's possible to experience God's smile 
And as we learned from last week, it's possible to grow in favor with God and men. So today we're going to talk about some principles from the life of Jesus, how you and I can experience this. The first one is this. Show the world that you're not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 21. It says, When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. I read a story about a Japanese schoolboy, and he was a part of a class of 150 boys. And out of the 150 boys, he was the only believer in his class. And every day at lunch, he would bow his head and put his hands together like this and pray. And the boys would make fun of him and, you know, ridicule him because he was the only believer in a group of 150. And one day, a group of boys came to the principal and said, this guy is practicing magic. I mean, he's closing his eyes and he's saying things out in the air. It's got to be magic. And they were trying to get him in trouble. So he was called into the principal's office. And the principal said, what are you doing? I, um, there's some rumors that you're doing magic in the air and saying things out loud. And the boy was very bold. And he said, you know what, I, I'm not doing magic, I'm a Christian. And I'm praying to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm praying to Him to bless His food. And he was very bold. And at that moment, the principal bursted out in tears and put his head down on the desk. And he said, I too am a Christian. I, and I was just afraid to show it. But because of your example, I'm going to try to start living the Christian life. Can you believe that story? That's so amazing that he wasn't ashamed. And part of baptism, as we look at this, it's interesting that Jesus was baptized. And this brings up a lot of questions to the Bible reader. We learned last week John's baptism was a baptism of what? Repentance. So why was Jesus being baptized with a baptism of repentance? Doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Well, there's a few reasons I think possible, but Jesus wanted to do something amazing. And that was to show us that he was the way, the truth, and the life. So John's baptism pointed to Jesus, and Jesus comes on the scene. So it brings up the question, why, if John's baptism was one of repentance and Jesus was forgiven, why? Well, if you look on your listening guide, I give five possible reasons. Jesus didn't have to be baptized because he was perfect, but he did it for a certain reason. The first reason is to identify with us. He was the sin bearer. The scripture says that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So why did Jesus get baptized? Well, He wanted to identify with us. He was coming to take away our sins. The second reason is to accept the example for us. So since He was sinless, it wasn't necessary, but Jesus wanted to set the example. In the great commandment and the great commission, we're told to love God and love people, and we show this love by doing what? Making disciples of all nations, baptizing them, right? So Jesus was setting the example, listen, I'm being baptized because one day I'm going to ask you to go be baptize others as you lead people to Christ. In 1 Peter 2, 21, it says, For you were called this, for this example. Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. In other words, everything Jesus did, from suffering to the different life experiences, he left an example for us to follow. The third reason we get this in a parallel gospel is to fulfill all righteousness. We read in a parallel gospel that John tried to stop him. Jesus, I don't, need, I don't need to baptize you. You need to baptize me. And Jesus said, okay, let's permit this to fulfill all righteousness. And what did he mean by that? Well, Jesus wanted to fulfill every aspect of the law. Jesus wanted to do everything God's way. And 
part of this is in the Jewish culture, there was, there was baptism. It wasn't foreign thing from the culture. So what Jesus was doing is setting us up something new. In his ministry, whenever a person chooses to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, what happens? They were immediately baptized. So he was setting up an example of that. Something I haven't thought a lot about, the fourth potential reason is to give a preview of the gospel. You ever thought about when someone's baptized, they're actually giving a gospel presentation? That's something we often don't talk about, but whenever someone goes under, it's symbolic of Jesus dying on the cross and he was buried. And then when the person comes up, it's symbolic that Jesus came up from the grave and he was resurrected. So every time we baptize someone over here behind me, it's actually a gospel presentation in 3D. It's like you're getting a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection. So would one possible reason Jesus was given a preview of his death, burial, and resurrection by what he was doing symbolically? Because that's what it symbolizes now. And by the way, I I can't wait for the day where we baptize people all the time. And I'm I'm urging us all, our our mission this year, for those of you who weren't here in January, our our, our mission for, for this particular year, our vision for this year is everyone reach one. And we're encouraging every church attendee, every church member to win one person to Christ. Now, we don't do the saving, but we do the presenting of the gospel. And as we present the gospel, people will respond. Amen? And one thing we're doing practically, uh, many of you know this, but we've got a group meeting um, at the Sunday school hour, 945. We're gathering a group together to launch a new service. And this service is going to be a mission service designed to reach the community. Because within about a few miles of us are over 50,000 unchurched people. Can you imagine that? Just within a few miles. So part of the elders of the church, the council, uh, we've rallied around and said, what can we do to reach this community? We want to give every man, woman, and child a chance to receive the gospel. Amen. So when we think about baptism, that stirs us up. Another example, this comes from MacArthur. Uh, He gave a really good point. It was potentially to give a public affirmation of his messiahship by the Father. You notice in that big crowd, after everyone is baptized, what happens? God the Father's voice says, this is my son. I'm well pleased. So there you have a public affirmation that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. He was the anointed one. And the Spirit came upon him. So it brings up a question. Why do we as a church, and especially the Baptist denomination, why do we make such a big deal about baptism? Why is that? Well, partly because Jesus is baptized and we're following in his footsteps. But baptism is the first base of the Christian life. After you say, Jesus, I accept you, the first base is to be baptized. So the challenge is, if anyone here has never been baptized after becoming a believer and needs to be on the right side of your conversion, we want to encourage you. We'll baptize you next Sunday. So fill it out a connection card. It's kind of like we gave the illustration last week. Imagine if, uh, if a wife, husband and wife were getting married And the husband-to-be said, I'm not going to wear a ring. I'm not going to update my Facebook status. No one will know we're married, but you know my commitment to you. It's between you and I. All the women are like, excuse me? Um, Well, when we say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to be baptized, it's saying I'm not going to give a public statement before others. And that's something that the only person I've seen in the New Testament that wasn't baptized is the thief of the cross. And that was because he didn't have a chance to get baptized. So we don't need to be ashamed of Christ. We need to let the whole world know that we're following Christ and we're excited about it. I mean, you think about it on television these days. Many of you, how many of you are watching the Olympics? 
Okay, some of you, fun. I haven't had a chance yet. Um, the NBA All-Star Weekend's on. And we get excited, and it's good, about all these things. And guess what? Next year, everyone's forgotten who won last year. And everyone forgot who the champ. I mean, it's like, and you forget who was the greatest basketball, who was the greatest Olympian. And those things come and go. And we're talking about the greatest thing, the greatest message in the planet, that God loves you, has a plan for you, He wants to save the world, and we don't really get excited about it. I tell you what, we should learn from the sports fans that we should be more excited and more enthused than the athletes, the Olympians, because we're serving a God who gives us victory. And we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory because we know who already won. Amen? I get a little excited. All right, point number two, we better continue on. Um, So we don't need to be ashamed. The second way to experience God's smile... The second way to, in an experiential way, walk in his favor is to push through until you have a breakthrough. I know Brother Kirby's going to like this point here. Push through until you have a breakthrough. Look at the last part of verse 21. And while he prayed, the heaven was open. And by the way, Luke is the only gospel writer who emphasized that Jesus was praying at this point. And this is one of the themes in, in his, his, his gospel, that prayer... It's so important. I got a short little video clip on prayer, so if you guys will look at the screens for a moment. Most people pray. People who go to church and those who don't. Most people pray without even knowing it. When we're on a plane as it takes off, for some reason, we pray. When our favorite sports team is in a close game, we bite our nails and we pray. When we're being wheeled into an operating room, even if it's a simple procedure, for some unknown reason, we pray. The words, they just come out. Often words we don't even hear ourselves whispering. Lord, help my mom be okay. God, I hope this pilot knows how to fly. Lord, help my team to win. Jesus, what in the world am I doing right now? Again, most people pray. Whether we're pursuing God or not, the words, they just come out. But something changes when we have a relationship with God. Our heart, it becomes alive. And because of that, our prayers and our words come alive. And we're no longer just talking to someone, we're talking with someone, with God. Because there's a relationship, a foundation with Jesus. Amen. It makes a big difference when you're talking with God instead of just to Him. And you think about even people who are non-believers, how many people pray? I mean, a lot of people pray. But the thing about prayer is when you're connected to God like Jesus was, it says in James 5.16, the effective prayer of a righteous person avails much. So think about that. When Jesus prayed, what happened? Look back in the text. And while he prayed, the heaven was open. When Jesus prayed, the glory of God came down. When Jesus prayed, something changed in the atmosphere. Did you realize that you and I If we have the Lord Jesus Christ inside of us through the person of the Holy Spirit, when we pray, something should happen. The atmosphere should change. Now, God doesn't always answer your prayer right away. It's in His time. But we should pray expecting God to do amazing things. We should pray knowing that Jesus lives inside of us through His Spirit. And when we pray, we have direct access to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. So why don't we pray as much as we should? Why do we not pray? Well, maybe we need to realize when we pray, God does something. When we pray, the heavens open. 
There's a little acrostic that's on your listening guide. I used to see these bracelets when I was in youth ministry and in youth group. You guys ever remember the bracelets PUSH, P-U-S-H? For those of you who know it, what does it stand for? Pray until something happens. A lot of times we pray until we get tired. We pray until we get weary. But you know what? We need to have a pray-through until we have a breakthrough. Just keep praying through. And I love how when the praise and the prayers go up, the glory of God comes down. When the prayers go up, the provision comes down. When the prayers go up, God's felt presence comes down. We know that God is everywhere present. But how many of you know when the believers pray, sometimes you can experience that. So Jesus prayed. So, number three, we talked about not being ashamed, praying like the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, how to experience God's smile is be empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 22. So Jesus prays, the heavens open, and it says, the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon Him. Notice that after Jesus prayed, the Holy Spirit came down. And this was symbolic of what was going to happen on the day of Pentecost shortly thereafter. Jesus Christ was going to baptize them with the Holy Spirit. And it says in the next verse that Jesus was around 30 years old. Jesus needed to be empowered for his ministry. Now, we live in a day where if you want to, you can go online and be ordained just with like $25 and a certificate. Um, Yeah, believe it or not, you can be ordained online. Um, We live in a day where you can just step out and do whatever and you may not be empowered with the Spirit. Something I want you to notice in this text is even though Jesus was God in the flesh, He waited until the Holy Spirit came upon Him before He started His ministry. Now, if Jesus being God relied on the power of the Holy Spirit, why do we think we can do it without God's presence and help? God help us. Something unique I, I discovered is this text I didn't realize, but you know when it says Jesus was 30... There's a reason why it highlights that. Because often in the Old Testament, one's public ministry or public service started at 30 years of age. Oftentimes, a few examples. Joseph, when he was second in command, how old was he when he started? 30 years old. The priests and the Levites, if you're taking notes, this is Numbers uh, 4-3, uh, they, they entered service at 30 years old. And by the way, they retired at 50. Wouldn't that be nice? 20 years and you retired. <laughs> Saul became king when he was 30. Does anybody know how David was when he was king? 30 years old. Ezekiel was called by God as a prophet at the age of 30. And then here we see Jesus officially started his ministry at 30. So I didn't get the memo because I started when I was 15. Just kidding. But there's no magical age to start. You can start ministry whenever God calls you. But in the Old Testament, 30 was a significant number. Because that's when the priests and the Levites could start their ministry. So Jesus starts at 30. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And the Holy Spirit was symbolized or came down in a bodily form like what, what type of animal? A dove. Now first of all, we know the Holy Spirit is not a dove. There's no bird-like quality of God. So don't, don't, don't read into that. But it was a symbol. What does the dove symbolize in the Bible? Peace and gentleness. You notice that doves do not have talents. They're not this ferocious bird of prey. Birds considered gentle and harmless. 
And it's interesting, when you look through the Bible, the dove symbolizes something special. If you look in Genesis 1 and 2, what was the Holy Spirit doing in chapter 1 of Genesis? It was hovering over the face of the water like, like this dove. And whenever Noah came out of the ark, what was one of the birds he sent out? A dove. So do you think there's any symbolic nature here of the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove? Well, if you look at the very beginning, God brought order out of disorder when the world was dark and formless and the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the earth. And all of a sudden, He created the world that we live in. So beautiful. Then you have Noah. The world was in chaos again. And all of a sudden, the dove comes out as a harbinger of hope, saying that the world has a second chance. So in my understanding of this text, the dove was again a harbinger of hope that God has given all of us a second chance at life, that Jesus Christ is coming to seek and save the lost. And even in our best efforts, we fell short. But the Holy Spirit coming like a dove was symbolic that, you know what, I'm giving you another start. I'm giving you another chance. You have a chance to have peace with God again. How exciting. So it brings up the question, the Holy Spirit, um, what role did He have in Jesus' life and ministry? We're going to see next week, this little preview for next week. Jesus was tempted by the devil, but he was led by the Spirit. So what role does the Holy Spirit have in a believer's life? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. If you look at your listening guide, uh, I put a few points here about the Holy Spirit. This is not an exhaustive, but just a few application points for your life. The Holy Spirit gives us new life in Christ. Whenever you were dead, the Holy Spirit's the one who made you alive. We are now called to be filled moment by moment with the Holy Spirit. We are to be led by the Spirit. You ever hear people say, I'm just letting the Lord lead me? Or they're saying, I'm letting the Holy Spirit lead me. Your body is now the dwelling place of God. You ever think about this? We don't just come to church. We are the church going to church. You ever think about that? A lot of times people say, I'm going to church. Well, you're going to the church building, but you are the church. Going to the church building. The Holy Spirit empowers you to obey God and not to follow the desires of your flesh. Here's the thing. Whenever a believer sins, it means we fail to live up to the Holy Spirit's power because He's there to help us overcome that. He's our teacher and guide. He helps us to connect to God as Abba Father, as Papa. So that intimate relationship with God, the Holy Spirit helps that. He produces godly fruit in your life. He gives everyone at least one spiritual gift. Look at the person next to you and say you're gifted. Many of you have multiple gifts, but everyone has at least one spiritual gift. And that's not for your own self, it's to build up the body of Christ. And here's the good news. One day, well, it's the bad news first. Unless Jesus comes back, one day we're all going to die. But the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will raise your body up from the dead. And that, that's powerful. So, many of you know about D.L. Moody. We talk about him sometime, and he, he gives us a lot of good stories and illustrations, but... Um, many of you have heard that he built the largest Sunday school in America at the time. I mean, imagine just a huge Sunday school network. He was part of the YMCA movement, a leader in this. And it seemed like God was using him more than just about anyone else at the time. And he had two ladies that said, Brother D.L., we're praying that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit, with the power of the Holy Spirit. At first, he's insulted. He's like, he didn't say this out loud, but he's like, man, i got the largest Sunday school 
in the country and uh, the why movement. And who are these two ladies telling me I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? But something happened with the Great Chicago Fire. And it burned down his house. It burned down his church. It burned down the YMCA he was a part of. All this stuff happened. And he realized, you know what, I... I'm going to have to go to New York and I'm going to have to ask some business acquaintances for money because, I mean, everything's burned down. So he went to New York and he was talking to some businessmen about helping out with the rebuilding process in Chicago. And he just felt so burdened. He didn't really have the power to do it. He didn't want to beg for money. So that night in his hotel room, he had an experience with God. And I'll read to you what he wrote. He said, he went to his hotel room and he said, I can't describe it. It's so sacred, it's hard for me to even talk about. I can only say that God revealed himself to me. And I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. And I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not preach any truths, yet hundreds were converted. I would not be placed back where I were before that blessed experience. If you give me all the world, it would be small dust in the balance. In other words, he had an encounter where God filled him with the Spirit in his hotel room. Now, theologically, you receive the Holy Spirit the day you become a Christian, but that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit has access to every area of your life. It doesn't mean you surrender. You've heard it said that, yeah, we're filled with God, but we're leaky vessels. And we have to daily, moment by moment, surrender. So think about D.L. Moody. If he had built all that much on his own personality and gifting, and yet he needed the Holy Spirit's power, how much more do we? We don't need to do it in our own effort or ability We need to do it in God's power. Amen. Unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor, labor in vain. Fourthly, how do we experience God's smile? How do we walk in His favor on a moment-by-moment basis? Number four, walk in God's favor and experience His rapturous smile. I love verse 22. So the heavens were open, the Holy Spirit came down, and a voice came from heaven and said, You are my beloved son. You can translate that. You are my much-loved son. In you, I am well pleased. I know we got a lot of uh, business owners and supervisors in the building today. You'll like this story. I was reading about the Holiday Inn. They were wanting to hire 500 employees for vacant positions. So they interviewed 5,000 people. Can you imagine interviewing that many people? Hopefully they had a whole team. But in their interview process, they eliminated any candidate who did not smile more than four times. If you didn't smile more than four times, they did not interview for a second interview. You were cut. Um, smiling is so important. I was reading someone else. And this must have been written. I was thinking it may have been a lady who wrote this. A smile is an inexpensive way to improve your looks. It's free. You just smile and, man, you look so much better. <laughs> so, when you have the picture of God, do you ever picture God the Father as smiling? Many of you, depending on which church background you grew up, you picture God as frowning. You picture God as upset and angry. But I think we need to work on our theology here. Because if you are in Christ, let me read you a scripture from the book of Colossians. I think this may be in your listening guide. It says, you were once his enemies, separated by God by your evil thoughts and actions. Now listen to this verse, Colossians 1.22. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ and his physical body. As a result, he brought you into his own presence. Now listen, this is you, because you're a Christian. It says you are holy and blameless as you stand before him, without a single fault. 
But here's the beautiful picture about your position in Christ. If you have received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you've asked for forgiveness of sins, now Christ lives in you through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So when God looks at you, He can smile because He sees Christ. He can smile because now you used to be unholy, but because of Jesus you're holy. You used to be a sinner, but now He calls you a saint. Now you can stand before God's presence without a single fault. Because when Jesus Christ died on the cross, He died for all the sins, past, present, and future. So if you receive that sacrifice, all of your sins are forgiven. That deserves a hallelujah or amen. You ever notice that when someone gets baptized, a lot of times the family members show up. And I would encourage you, if anyone in your family you know, gets baptized, go, go see them. Um, but it's, it's like the whole family comes. You ever notice that? You know where we get that from? I think it's just natural because we want to support family. But whenever Jesus was baptized, his whole family showed up. The Father was there. The Spirit was there. All three members of the Trinity were there as baptism. And did you know in a spiritual way, whenever you're baptized, you may not realize this, but all three members of the Trinity are looking on. And besides, you're baptized in their name, the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So whenever you're baptized... Just know that God is looking down with a smile, just like He did with Jesus. And He can say, I love you. You're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. God's smile is like a radiant light. So even in your darkest of days, when He smiles, everything changes. He turns the night into day. He turns the darkness into light. He turns the sorrow into joy. He turns... Ashes into beauty whenever he smiles. So before we go to the genealogies, um, I just want to encourage you that God can smile upon you because of your relationship with Jesus. That's, that's, that's a done deal. But if you want to experience it, if you want to experience on a day-to-day basis, today we talked about four things. Show the world that you're not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's part of baptism. I'm not ashamed of God. Push through until you have a breakthrough. Believe in the power of prayer. Be empowered by the Holy Spirit and walk into God's favor and experience His rapturous smile. The smile of God upon your life. Alright, let's look at the genealogy. Aren't you glad I didn't try to read all those verses and mispronounce every word? So as we go through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, we'll come across genealogies and different stuff and some of you are probably, what is Timothy going to do with this list of all these names? Well, a few things. These genealogies establish that Jesus was the rightful heir of David. Part of Jesus being the son of David and the Savior, he had to come out of the Davidic line. So these genealogies attest to that. So when you look at Matthew and you look at Luke, both of them attest through Mary's line and through Joseph's line. Obviously, Joseph was Jesus' adopted father. But on both lines, Jesus was in the genealogy of David. Um, every name represents a person, and every person matters to God. Be honest, have you ever fallen asleep reading through the book of Leviticus? Anyone else been there? You're like, what are all these names here for? Well, here's the thing. Those names may seem like a long list, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so. But if you look at every name, each of those who were a believer, who died in faith, every one of those names that died in faith, you'll get to meet that name in heaven one day. So every name represents a person, and every person matters to God. One more thought about that is uh, Luke's genealogy goes, of Jesus goes all the way back to Adam instead of just Abraham. And what does that 
show us? Why does he go all the way back to Adam? Because Luke is writing that Jesus is the Son of Man who come to seeking to save both Jew and Gentile. So the reason why Luke goes all the way back to Adam is he's saying, listen, Jesus is not just a Savior for the Jews. He's a Savior for the whole world. So that's one of the things that Luke emphasizes as he talks to Theophilus, that Jesus came to save the whole world. And that's good news for all of us. Amen? So summarizing this into one sentence, if you look at your take-home truth, actually two sentences, God's smile brightens even the darkest day. As you and I fully follow Jesus in every detail of our life, we get to walk in divine favor and divine sunlight. Something Elaine didn't know, I was going to quote her, she quoted a scripture. We had a a senior adult uh, meeting on Thursday. It's called the Third Thursday Thing. I believe that's what they say. And she quoted Zephaniah 3.17. It's one of the verses in the Bible that says God wants to sing over you. And I want to give you that verse from the New Living. It says, The Lord your God has arrived to live among you. He is a mighty Savior. With His joy, with His, He'll comfort you. And part of the end of the verse, I'm not quoting the whole thing, but it says He will sing over you a happy song. Or some translations say He will joy over you with singing. So think about that. God is so pleased in Christ. Because we're in Christ, He can now sing over you, and today you learn that He can smile over you in Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we're, we're excited about the baptism of Jesus. Not just because what it meant 2,000 years ago, we talked about what, what it did meant, but we're also excited because of what it means today. That Lord, because we're in Christ, as we walk through faith, we realize that things change. And we read in the book of Colossians that we weren't, we weren't enemies with you, but now we're friends. And God, I thank you for everyone that is a born-again believer in this place today. That they can rest assured that they have the smile of God because of Jesus. And Father, I pray that we learn how to, how to walk this out positionally in a practical way. How to not be ashamed and how to believe in the power of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, we pray that the smile that we already have because of our relationship, we'll experience it on a day-to-day basis. And as the believers continue to pray, I just want to ask you a question. Is there anyone today that, that said maybe think a little differently about God because of this text. I can see God now with a smile because of Jesus Christ. If that's you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but just thank Him right where you're sitting. Say, thank you, God, that you smile on me because of Jesus. And if there be one that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, as the believers continue to pray in your seat, Jesus said He stands at the door and He knocks. Whosoever will may come. If you believe that Jesus Christ is God, that He died on the cross for your sins, that He was buried and He was raised to life on the third day, and you want Him to raise you to new life in Christ, right where you're sitting, just pray a prayer of faith. Say, Jesus Christ, I believe that you're God, and I want new life. I want to experience the smile of God, what Pastor Timothy was talking about where you can say, I'm well pleased. So ask Him now to say, Father, I ask and pray that You would forgive me of all my sins. I pray that You would step out of heaven into my heart 
I want to make Jesus my Lord and my Savior, my best friend. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the family of God. And we want you to experience His smile on your life today. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. It's in the name of all names we pray. Jesus, amen. This time.